The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to the Data Reaper podcast, episode 20. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joined as always by Chief Carnival Ride Operator, We've got Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing all right. Excited to talk about new cards in October, which is not usually when we talk about new cards. Uh, but before we do, we have to cover some housekeeping. So dates are going to be weird because a lot of stuff happened. We got nerfs and we got new cards coming. So this podcast, the recording, is on Monday the 26th. It's going to get published on Tuesday the 27th. That's when you're listening to it. And then the next one will be at the end of next week. We're recording on Friday the 6th, and we are publishing on Saturday the 7th. You will want to listen to that one. It's going to be very special. That will be perhaps the most special podcast we've ever had. Pay attention, folks. You got to tune in for the 7th. Yes. And, Zach, when's the next report going to be? We have that on next Sunday, right? The 1st? Correct. And then after that, what are we looking at? Probably this will be the last uh, report for the this expansion, uh, because after that, we need to take a break. We need to prepare for the podcast on the 7th, which you will want to listen to. And we also have work to do in terms of uh, expansion content, theory crafting, card previews. They're going to come back once again for this expansion. And uh, we know that People love those articles, and they take a lot of work. Uh, so that's why we're, we'll be taking a break after uh, Sunday's report. We will have card preview starting on November 3rd, and so we'll have those in time for next week's show as well. Um, but it, it'll be nice to see the Skolomance meta wind down and get ready for a new one early. But we should talk about the, the final effects of the 18.6 nerf on Evocation and Solarian Prime. Or should I call her Solarian 9? That's not a bad one, but, you know, you could get better. Yeah. That could be better. It was easy. It was a gimme. It was, yeah, it was too easy. Not one of my prime puns. So this podcast, let's just let the listeners know that this podcast essentially split into two. In the first spot, part of this podcast, we're going to talk about the balance changes. We're going to talk about the early patch impressions. Uh, in the build-up to Sunday's report, we're going to give you the initial insights, initial impressions of how we see class shape up. And the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk about the new expansion and the new content that was announced on Thursday. And some of you have already probably gotten to play with. So this will be a two-part podcast. So we'll start with the first part, which is the early impressions of this patch. We're going to start with the class that actually got nerfed, uh, which is Mage. And let me tell you this. Mage is the new Druid. The changes, the balance changes to Evocation and Solarium Prime were significant. Uh, these were the two of the most powerful cards in the deck. And what that teaches us is that when you nerf Powerful cards in a deck, even by one mana, it's significant. Evocation 
doubling its cost is significant, both in the early game and in the late game. Solarium is still a good card. You still want to run it in the deck, but a two-mana nerf is big. And Cyclomage's win rate has significantly dropped. Um, its matchup spread has become so much worse. It's so much worse now that it doesn't even beat Librem Paladin anymore. Think about that. Okay? Cyclomage was well known to be able to beat Librem Paladin. It was like a counter to it. And now it's like... 50-50, maybe a little bit more than that, but it's really not noticeable of an advantage. So Cyclomage is around sitting around maybe a high tier 4, maybe a very low tier 3 deck. Um, I do expect it to recover somewhat in its win rate. It always happens when something is nerfed and initially it looks really, really bad. And then it improves a little bit. But don't expect any miracles here. I do not think that this deck is getting back. I think this is another Guardian Druid situation where you nerfed two of the deck's best cards, and it's just not the same. And uh, Mage is still fairly popular on ladder right now, and I expect it to continue to decline, and that might have an impact on what ends up being the, the final meta for Skullman's Academy. Uh, this is big news, you know, and it, the deck has also, Mage has also been disappointing on recent Masters Tour. Obviously, players did not have time and did not have the means to evaluate the impact of the balance changes because they pretty much came um, maybe 12 hours before deck submission. There was no way to really know how much worse it was going to get, but it did get worse by a few percentages, and that turns it from a tier 2 deck. Um, and a very competitive deck, one of the better decks in the format, into one that is very fringe in its power level and very vulnerable. So so that's Mage. Um, in terms of builds, the Cobalt Spellcamp build might, might have gotten worse, but we know it was better before the balance changes. And now it might be an even thing. But in general, if you're tight on Dust and you're really not sure what to do, I would advise you to Dust Evocation. Dust Solarian Prime, don't recraft them. This deck looks like kind of a waste of time. Uh, it doesn't look like a very good deck at all. Maybe in the new expansion we'll recover, we'll find new tools or something. But right now it doesn't look like a very good ladder deck. Yeah, the the you mentioned it was only a nerf to two cards, but I think it was actually a nerf to three because the nerf to Evocation was actually a significant nerf to Mana Giant. Without being able to generate those and cheat them out quickly, it's so much harder to get the fast 8-8s, eight and that was a really big part of the deck's success, I think. Yeah, well, obviously, when you nerf Guardian Animals to 8 mana, then you made Twilight Runner worse, right? You made uh, Teacher's Pet worse, because you're more likely to draw them uh, before you get to play Guardian Animals, because it's a slower card, and it's just more of a burden to carry these cards in your deck when the payoff is not as powerful. And it's the same thing here. Cyclomage is a heavy synergy deck. It's just extremely reliant on its synergies, and sometimes those synergies ended up, you know, blowing out the opponent very early on with the Mana Giants. And now, when these synergies are good, but not quite as insane as they were before, then the deck is just not good enough. You need to have really, really powerful synergies in the format in order to be able to compete. 
And if you nerf those synergies by a little bit, then, you know, on the surface, you might say, oh, this still functions. But if it doesn't function to a really high performance, then it's not good enough. And this is what we're seeing right now. The deck is still functional. If you play, you don't really feel like Cyclone Mage got a lot worse because it got worse by a few percentage points. And we know that a few percentage points is the difference between being a really good deck and a pretty bad one. Those are the differences. Four or five percent. If that's the difference, then that's huge. Um, now, it might improve. People might be able to adjust a little bit to the new mana costs of these cards, but I suspect that much like Guardian Druid, it will get a little bit better, but eventually hit a wall and just not be able to compete. Like, the matchup against Soul Demon Hunter now, because of Cyclone Mana Giants being slower, is so much worse. You just get rolled over by Soul Demon Hunter. The matchup got worse to, I think it was, um, Cyclone Mage was near 45% in that matchup, and now it's more like 35%. Because that matchup was highly reliant on you being able to get those mana giants as soon as possible. And if you cannot pressure the Demon Hunter, it just smacks you in the face. And that nerf significantly impacted how early you can get those out. And that means you, you just can't pressure. Same from Bomb Warrior. The Bomb Warrior matchup also got a little bit worse. The Rogue matchup is worse. Everything is just worse. Like, I can... I can pretty much list all of the matchups because the deck was hurt in its core synergies. Um, and if you can, you do not have the early game blowout potential and your late game comeback me mechanics are also weaker, then it's going to affect the deck. So we're in a situation where Cyclomage is very underwhelming and not a deck that I recommend for Lado at all right now. It doesn't even, as I said, it doesn't even beat Paladin that much anymore because you just don't. You just, you're just not that powerful. And it's hard to notice as an individual playing the deck, but it's very noticeable when you look at large-scale data. And even looking at just the Masters Tour, just the Masters Tour, Paladin had a favorable win rate against Mage this, this weekend. So yep. it's Mage no longer beats the matchup that you played it for. Uh, that's pretty significant. I will say, looking at the data here, Zach, I have figured out Mage's best matchup. It's Shaman. Surprise, surprise. It won most games against Shaman. But also, why were people playing Shaman in Master's Tour? Don't have an answer for that one. Yeah, that's a bit of a mystery. But we'll get to Shaman later. There might be some better news uh, regarding yes. that class. But uh, yeah, Mage is, is like Druid tier right now. Low tier 3, high tier 4. Something like that. Not really a deck you want to play on ladder in order to get the best results. Yeah. I uh I I've tried it out a little bit and it feels dramatically different. Not just Solarian Prime, whatever. It's fewer evocations and fewer fast mana giants. It's the mage has been built on a house of cards a couple times in the past uh, year or so. Remember the uh, three mana conjurers calling? As soon as they changed that to four mana, the deck kind of fell apart. Uh, that is very similar to the experience we got here of the nerf to pocket galaxy and conjurers calling. Felt very analogous here, even though I mean, Apoc Galaxy was much stronger than any card they touched here. But it's a, it's a similar thing where they took out the, the high roll pieces and then the rest of the deck just felt pretty below a par compared to what the format was doing. Yep. It's just you needed to be, you needed those interactions to be busted. But anyway, since Mage is dropping and I expect to see less and less Mages, 
you know which class is benefiting from this. That's an easy question. Hey, Zach, which class is benefiting from this? The one that was the best performing class at Top Legend before this report. Before the last report, which is Librum Paladin. And let me tell you this, Librum Paladin looks insane. It already looked powerful before. We've already talked about Librum Paladin being the top performing Arden Ladder, even at Top Legend. We saw Librum Paladin performing extremely well in Masters 2 qualifiers. We saw Librum Paladin performing well in the, this recent Masters Tours as well, where it was one of the best performing classes. So maybe Librum Paladin is good after all, Hat. Maybe the pro players are wrong. Uh-oh, you got they started. They were wrong. You got started. Maybe they were wrong all along. No, I'm just, I'm memeing here because some pro players knew that Paladin was good. That's why they brought it to this Master Tours, and Paladin was fairly, like, a lot more popular in this tournament. But yeah, it performed well. It did really well, even though the field was heavy on priests and mages. Uh, before the Master Tour, you know, privately, I advocated to run Paladin and just ban priests, ban priest lineups. So we saw priests being the top performer in this Master's Tours. It was just going to be, always going to be well positioned um, against this field, and Paladin is even more powerful on ladder right now because Mage is not not cutting it anymore. And only Priest really seems to be able to beat Paladin consistently. There might be some decks that are able to adjust a little better to that matchup like Miracle Rogue. But in general, Paladin is almost uncontested. Priest is also not rising in play as much as I expected it to. We'll talk about why later. But that just leaves Libum Paladin to just demolish pretty much everything. Uh, like, unless you're playing specifically Priest and a very watered-down Cyclone Mage, uh, Paladin is tough. And let me tell you, I've played Ladder this week after the patch, and I've met more Paladins in Top Legend than before. That's for sure. That deck is rising in play. And they honestly feel oppressive to play against. Like, getting Hey Losered 10 Ugh. times, Ugh. 20 times a game is very, very good. And the thing is about the draw consistency, it almost feels like a combo deck. Like, you have to kill them. You have to pressure the Paladin and try to kill them before they're able to assemble two Penflingers and play Liadrin. Because when that happens, you're in big, big trouble. And the deck is... Kind of weird. It's a weird deck with a weird win condition. And it, it's it's quite difficult to play. This is not pure Paladin. This deck is far from linear. Anyone who tells you that Liberum Paladin is some linear deck doesn't know what he's talking about. Because this deck is actually fairly challenging to play. And if you manage to milk the value from the Penflingers and you assemble your resources well and understand your win condition, you can do really well with it. I personally haven't done well with Libran Paladin because it's just not my kind of deck. It's just I haven't been able to really grasp what it wants to do, honestly, because it's just not not intuitive for me at all. Uh, but other players at top level are doing so well with it. It's just so powerful right now. And I think it's clearly the best deck in the game. If it wasn't clear before, it's clear now. Yeah, I've I've been playing Liberum Paladin on and off over the past couple metas, and I I do think that it is quite skill intensive. It's very strange in terms of playstyle because it's this weird grindy attrition deck 
that looks like it should be mid-rangey in terms of threat generation, but it's kind of both low and high threat density at the same time, because once you play Liadrin, all of a sudden it's like you have a survival of the fittest that you just have to click 20 times a turn to activate. Because all your stuff is huge, one at a time. It's almost a combo deck. Honestly, yeah. it feels like a combo deck. When you play against it, it feels like you're on a clock, and if you let them get to double penflinger Liadrin, it's almost like you're 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 done. That's it. You're done. It's very hard to come back. You have to put up so many stats on the board in one turn that can circumvent all the removal capabilities of penflingers with a lot of wisdoms. That it just feels really hard to 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 beat. Um, and the thing is that Paladin also has good defensive tools, right? They have the uh, Liberum of Hope that helps them recover. And if you pressure their life total and ignore their board, they can really punish you with that. They also run Broomstick, which is a huge card in, in terms of comeback mechanics. Like, it's such a good card with uh, when you have a lot of copies of Liberum of Wisdom, you can just keep trading and rushing all the minions that you develop and, and using multiple wisdoms on the same turn you can just use two wisdoms buff a minion trade into it kill it get the start buffing the next minion that you have on the board and rush into another thing they can just deal so much damage to the board uh, by rushing into all of your stuff and it's very difficult to mount an effective offense against it they just deplete you uh it's 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 a very weird deck it, it takes time to get used to playing against it as well um, but I, I think it's super cool that we have something like this in the meta. And yeah, you may want to um, mute your client when you're playing against it once they get double pen flinger. I wish we could squelch a card. If only we could <laughs> squelch a card, but unfortunately we cannot do that. I said it in the pre previous podcast. You don't just destroy your opponents in Hearthstone when you play Libram Paladin. You destroy yourself, their self-esteem. Like it's... It's so discouraging to lose to Penflingers. Uh, you know, it also happens in Soul Demon Hunter as well, right? But in Paladin, the Penflingers are like, you know, Shadow Reaper Anduin kind of deal. <laughs> where they're like so overwhelmingly oppressive. Uh, it, it's, it's really crazy. But yeah, if you want to do well on ladder, try to master this deck. It's, as I said, it's not straightforward and it's not easy to play. But if you do play it well... The best deck in the game, it's clear-cut. And Pure Paladin, not doing as well at higher levels of play because if you run into the mirror against Librum Paladin, you're in big trouble. Like, that mirror is... Like, the curve deck is not very good against the deck with animated broomstick and infinite removal. Yeah, there has to be a very particular opening from the Pure Paladin and really more of a lack of answers from the from the Libroom because they have so many board clears. Uh it's there are ways to stagger the pure paladin threats that can be a little awkward, but once Libroom gets going, it, you can't stay on the board. It's just not gonna happen. Yep. So Paladin good, mage bad. Now with Paladin with Paladin being so good and with the loss of one of the better matchups, is this looking like a meta that's more hostile to Soul Demon Hunter? It's definitely possible that as Mage continues to decline, which it will, then things will get a little bit dicier for Soul Demon Hunter. Though the deck is still doing fairly well. 
uh, I would say it's pretty much uh, in a similar position where it was before the Pelon changes. That may surprise you, but I will say that Soul Demon Hunter players are able to adjust the Paladin matchup to some degree as long as they run Consume Magic. And I will add more. It might be correct to run double Consume Magic at this stage, especially wow. if Paladin continues to get more popular. Consume Magic is an all-star performer in the Paladin matchup. I cannot overstate how impactful this card is. It can just win you the game outright in that matchup. So if you run two copies, you can often just get there against the Paladin as the matchup is a lot closer if you run double consume. Most lists on ladder right now run one copy of Consume Magic, and I could advocate even running two. We'll see what ends up being the correct choice in the report, but... I've been running, I, when I've been playing Soul Demon Hunter this week, I've run double consume and I've had a pretty good win rate against Paladin. Still not a favorable matchup, but you feel like you have a much better chance. Um, and the data also suggests that consume magic is huge, huge, huge in that matchup. And it's also not bad in other matchups. Like in matchup like Rogue, Miracle Rogue, consume magic can be useful. It's, uh, it's okay against priests as well. Apotheosis is a pretty good target for consume magic. So, and it, at worst, it draws a card, right? If they have minions. I wouldn't want it against, like, Bomb Warrior or something. Yeah, it's really bad against Bomb Warrior, but the thing is about Bomb Warrior is that you don't really need all of your cards to be good in that matchup. The matchup can still be reasonable, even if you run two slightly suboptimal cards. And again, the most people are already run one consume. I'm only advocating to run the second one, to just get there. So that the Paladin... Because I expect to see more Paladins as time goes on. So I think Double Consume will get better and better as we go into the next week as well. That makes sense. And especially if the next class we're looking to talk about, if Rogue, which I think is the big winner of this nerf patch, starts to rise in popularity, it had a positive win rate at the Masters Tour. Uh, and it's a, it's a darling of high-level play. So whenever pros get the opportunity to play Rogue, they want to play Rogue. And Rogue might replace Mage as the goofy scam deck of the High Legend meta. I could easily see Miracle Rogue taking that spot. Yep. I don't want to toot my own horn too much. Zach, toot uh, away. That's what the podcast is for. But we were right about Rogue 100% about what its uh, post-patch uh, prospects were because... This class looks completely transformed from before. Uh, before the balance changes, it looked like, okay, it's competitive, it's viable, it's there, but it's, you know, it's maybe a little bit worse than the very best decks. And now Rogue looks like one of the best classes. Um, and I'm not talking about just one Rogue deck. Both Miracle and Galakrim Rogue, which are the slower Rogue deck, heavily benefit from the Mage nerfs. Uh, you know, as we expected them to, but to the point where they really look to be on the cusp of being truly top tier. So I'll talk about them first, and then I'll talk about Agro which has also gotten better, but we'll, we'll see what happens next. But Miracle Rogue is just really strong right now uh, because, uh, you know, Mage is very annoying to deal with in the late game. Uh, Solarian Prime is one of the cards that really, if you're a Miracle Rogue player, if you played any amount of miracle rogue 
Solarian Prime just destroys you. You know that feeling when Solarian Prime comes to the board. Now, it was always a powerful card in multiple matchups too, but in the Rogue matchup, it was particularly crippling because Rogue really wants to overwhelm the board at some point, you know, when you run Questing and Edwin and things like that. And Solarian Prime really blows up your game plan in the late game. And and that card being nerfed was huge for Miracle Rogue's success in that particular matchup. But also, the meta is becoming more favorable because we're seeing more Paladins, and Rogue really doesn't mind running into Paladins. And there's a chance that we'll eventually manage to get an edge in the Paladin matchup as well, in the Libram Paladin matchup. Um, once, you know, it, it can fine-tune a few cards, and we'll talk about that more extensively in the report, that can give it a slight edge against Paladin and really feel good about that. And if Paladin gets better and more popular, that means there are less Soul Demon Hunters, and that's good for Miracle Rogue. Now let's talk about Galakrond Rogue. And Galakrond Rogue is the deck that, after looking into the data, is the deck that I chose to play the most this week, after the punch. I've been jamming a lot of Galakrond Rogue. I have a theory as to why. I have a theory, and I don't think it's based on the data. I it's, think the it's theory is based you want on the to, data. You want to destroy Prezak. You want to beat every priest you see. Correct. I want to beat every priest I see, a top thousand legend. I want to make him miserable. Because Galcomrogue, if you hate playing against priests, if you hate losing that matchup, that is the best counter available to priests. You just stomp them. And you especially stomp them if you run Devoted Maniacs. You know, the only way, I think I've lost one game against priests, and that was when they, like, truly truly scammed you right if they truly truly scam you they can win the one in five um but i've been doing really well with the deck it's it's good against priests but it's also pretty good in other matchups too again the mage that mage being so much weaker is really helpful to the deck and it just has game and looks like uh looks like a deck that's well on its way to having a positive win rate again you know, people are playing a little bit of a Dejanki list. People are playing like Highlander list. Don't waste your time on Highlander. We want to play eight invokes. We want to play our Polkit. We want to play our fully upgraded Galakon, and that's how we win games. Um, so I'm really impressed with Galakon Rogue. It's uh, looking better in this uh, after this patch, and definitely is a winner of the pat balance changes. But also Agro Rogue also, has also gotten better because the direct matchup against Cyclone Mage was difficult. Cyclone Mage has gotten worse, uh, which means that Agro Rogue is a lot better in that direct matchup. You also see less Cyclone Mage and decks, more decks that Agro Rogue is more comfortable playing against. For example, you're okay running into Priest if you run a Seal Dancer build. Uh, you have self-sharpening sword. You can deal quite a bit of damage, and the priest matchup can be reasonable. Um, it definitely is feels a lot better than the mage matchup. So Agro Rogue has also gotten better, but I do suspect that Miracle Rogue and Galakrond Rogue are just that bit better right now than Agro Rogue. And class is just good. You have three different archetypes. They're all quite strong. I would put them all in the competitive, the most competitive range of decks, uh, which is tier two and above. And the class is just really versatile and really powerful. It's going to finish Skullman's Academy strong. And one final note on Galakrond Rogue. If you have 
Heist Baron Togwaggle in your hand, hold Polkelt. Because Polkelt Wand is ridiculous. I'll tell you this. I've played, I don't know, 40 games of... I- 50 games of Galkrog over the last couple of days, few days. I have never lost when I did that. I have never lost a game when I played Poke One. It's almost impossible to lose. It's so powerful. Whenever you do that, it's essentially I win the game. That's it. It's over. Free Galakrond, free Kronks, free Flick. Your turn. It's absolutely ridiculous. And sometimes you even save the Galakrond. You don't even play it immediately. You just play it on the same, like you play it with the Kronks and you just like buff your huge board on you. You do burst damage. It's crazy what you can do with uh, with that kind of combo. But it's basically over. No deck can withstand you. I haven't seen a single deck that was able to withstand it. Like even Priest played Morazond after I did that and they immediately lost because this, because Morazond, it doesn't kill what you developed, right? <laughs> like, so they mirror my board. They mirrored what I did. But you're dead. I have like 50 power. You're done. It's just, uh, it's crazy. Um, very, very powerful. So yeah, Rogue is good. Valera is back. And Edwin, that's another one. That's another one, yeah. I feel like Edwin's Dane could could be numbered. Eventually, maybe this, we'll see. They've hinted about big changes to Classic in the near future. So yeah. I'm guessing beginning of the year. Yeah, you can, like, if they say something like that, that means Hedwin is probably going away at some point. But, yeah, he's had a good run. It's a very good run. All right, let's talk about Garrosh. Let's talk about Warrior. Uh, so what's going on here? It's We had some interesting exploration right before the nerf patch. Uh, what are we seeing coming out of Warrior now? Yeah, so Warrior's got, like, it feels like it has a billion decks, right? It's It's very difficult to you know talk about everything uh, like when you know there's so many different variants and they're seeing quite a, a bit of play and uh, as uh, you remember this is the early days and we don't really want to make big conclusions on the data that we're receiving up to this point but you know bomb warrior is plugging along it's okay uh, it might be getting worse if Paladin continues to get more popular and Mage declines because, you know, it hasn't really registered yet for many players that Cyclomage is kind of poor right now. Its its current uh, uh, popularity is still fairly high. It's like at 8% at Legend. For a deck that performs this poorly, it still sees way more play than it should. So Bomb Warrior is benefiting from that, but that could change. Uh, and Rage Warrior is a deck that will probably not appreciate the fact that Paladin is growing in popularity. And we talked about it in the last uh, report. Uh, right now, it's, again, plugging along, but you expect it to get a little bit worse. Um, Big Warrior is pretty much the same. You don't you don't see much difference in what's happening there. And then Control Warrior is kind of interesting because along the you know, existing build that we saw before the balance changes, people are now experimenting with Silas decks. Like, basically, Ooh. the combo is, yeah, you play you play Soulbound Ashtong, the one drop, the one mana, one four, that whenever this minion takes damage, also deal that t- amount to your hero. And what you do is you play it, and then you play Silas. And you give your opponent 
ash dung. And then you shield slam this ash dung, and you all that damage, like if you have a lot of armor, which you need to set up, it, like a turn before you do like a Armorsmith Skipper uh, Bloodsworn Mercenary play, you gain like a billion armor, and then you use that to shield slam your opponent in the face through the ash, uh, the ash dung, and you basically OTK them. So we've seen experiments with that kind of variant. And the initial builds, the first build that we've seen from this patch, are not very good. They're much worse than just the standard control warrior from before the balance changes. But I don't want to write this off. First, because it's fun. And two, because there are new builds that look a lot cleaner that I would like to see data on before we reach the conclusion that like the silence decks are not good. Because I've seen a, from Midi, I think it hit number three legend with a build that looks a lot cleaner with Reaper Scythe and Cutting Class. So it's it's a lot more of a combo-ish deck where you just cycle heavily rather than just being a control warrior with Silas. So that could be interesting. I want to see how that performs. And then we'll give our verdict. Kind of cool. I did not expect this to happen. But yeah, now you can shield slam face. Yes. Finally. Finally. And Deadraw as well was tweeting um, a, a similar list, except he's running Skipper for Battle Rage so they can draw more aggressively. And I think that there's definitely opportunity for this to be explored. I thought this was going to be a wild only thing because Odd Warrior is very happy about all three of the combo pieces costing odd amounts of mana. But we might be able to get it going in standard for a little bit before Bloodsworn Mercenary rotates in uh, in March. Meaty's list also runs Skipper. Uh, so, but no battle rage. It might be a similar. Oh, there's no battle rage. Yeah, because he's running cutting class. Yeah, so there's some there's some interesting. I suggest to try and build this into more of a turbo combo deck rather than a control warrior, with just you know just that combo, and maybe that could be good. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no way to tell because these builds are really really recent and they haven't propagated yet throughout ladder. I only know about the initial builds that look more like Control Warrior. They're running like Brawl and stuff like that. And they weren't good. So try to look at Dead Draw, Meaty, um, these kind of combo-ish builds. And maybe that Silas deck could be better than a meme. But again, we don't know. But it's interesting to see. I did not expect Silas to immediately see play on standard, that's for sure. <laughs> so... The fact that it's even being experimented, that people are doing well with it initially, is kind of cool. Yeah. Might be a fifth warrior deck on top of big and enrage and control and bomb, and we don't know exactly where yeah. these... Though there might be serious difficulties um, separating control warrior from the Silas decks, right? Because they're basically control warriors with just Silas at the end, and you can't really tell that, there are si that you're a Silas deck until you got Silas, right? You did, like, if your opponent is playing that deck, you cannot tell what you're playing against until you actually got comboed. And these kind of decks are very problematic in terms of recognition. So the Silas deck might be, like, considered a variant of Control Warrior for the next report because the recognition issues are pretty much there. Data is hard, but we'll see exactly uh, where these decks end up. Now, Hunter was looking pretty good towards the end of the last patch, even though it only had a couple decks with a pretty clear strategy. You either go face or you go face, but Highlander. Uh, what are we looking at for Hunter now? 
Still do the same thing it did before the patch. Still doing pretty well doing those things. Uh, interestingly, since we haven't really seen the the shift of Mage's decline and Demon Hunter's potential decline while Paladin is rising, you know, it hasn't fully transpired yet. So Hounder Hunter is still performing better at Legend. And Face Hunter is the better deck on the climb to Legend. That's generally the rule of thumb. But it could it could eventually change if we see the meta shifts that we anticipate uh, seeing. Uh, but for now, it's pretty much the same thing as before the patch. Hunter is pretty good, pretty strong ladder deck, one of the better ones. And you just run those two archetypes and you're going to do well. There's not much other news. Yeah, Hunter is, well, still Hunter. And uh, I guess the configuration, if a lot more Paladins show up, I guess we can look at the Face Hunter secret configuration in particular. I bet Freezing Trap could end up being a little bit uh, better than it was before. Or pl pressure plate yeah. is pretty good against uh, Librem of Wisdoms. We go so back to that anti-Druid configuration of plates and freezing traps, maybe. It's definitely possible, but it's early to tell what the correct uh, configuration of Secret is. But generally, Hunter is, is still fine. It's still good. And it did okay in the Masters Tour as well. It definitely didn't look dumpster, like uh, some players suggest. It performed better than Mage. It performed better than Druid. It performed, I think, close to Rogue. So it's still fine. Yeah. Uh, There's something it's there. Plugs along. Yeah. It's very competitive and very viable throughout uh, ladder, no matter where you are. Um, and that's it. I think now we should talk about the only real answer to Paladins. Priest, 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 priest. And the surprising thing about priests, honestly, I expected to see more priests after the patch, and it's not really happening. And I suspect that the reason why priests is not gotten too popular, well, there are two reasons. One is we know that control priests is one of the most skill testing decks in the meta, and now that mage is kind of going away, it probably is the most skill testing decks in the in the current meta. We saw how well it performed in Master Store; it was the best class. The best performing class in Master Store. In addition, it's the only real counter to Paladin right now. So you would expect it to be very popular. But in actuality, it hasn't really climbed in popularity much after the patch. And it could be because it's also been aggressively targeted. Like, we're seeing more Galakrond Rogue. That is a really bad matchup. And Galakrond Rogue has risen in popularity... Um, since the patch, it's now almost as popular as Miracle Rogue. In addition, Miracle Rogue has grown in popularity and is also focusing its build to beating priests. So Rogue's rise and success is kind of dampening uh, priest performance on ladder. And that may dissuade players from running priests because it's actually being targeted right now by a class that has really benefited from the balance changes. So even though Paladin is rising in popularity, rogues are even more popular right now, still. And that gives Priest some problems. Because if you run the Vendetta build with double Pledgerize, and uh, you run like the Dragon's Horde build, like the value build, then you can give Priest quite a bit of problems when you're running Miracle. And Galakron is nuts against Priest. Uh, so that 
is definitely difficult. Control Breeze is still good, right? But it's not as powerful as I expected it to be on ladder. Partly because, again, very difficult deck to play. It gets better at higher levels, but even at the highest levels, people are very aware, very aware of it and really want to target it. Players are really occupied to run decks that are good against priests because they just refuse to lose to priests no matter how unpopular it may be or even though it's not even 10% of the field. And take it from me. I'm doing the same thing. I'm making an emotional choice to run Galakron Rogue because I refuse to lose to priests. I refuse to get emoted, Pat. I do not want to get emoted. If you're going to get emoted, it's going to be the way the meta intends with Penflinger. I know people say, I know people say squelch. But you know that feeling even after you squelch? When they're just about to win the game, you see them hovering over their portrait. You know they're emoting. You can tell they're emoting. And even though they're squelched, you know it's happening. I don't want to experience that. I'm running Galakrog. I don't care. I, I have learned a lot about how your decision-making works today. Basically, Priest is hard-targeted. Still good. It's still going to be one of the better decks even though it's being targeted. But Paladin is not rising enough or quickly enough so far to make Priest like a supreme choice on ladder. But it's fine. It's good. It's good. It was it was one of the better decks in the Masters Tour. So I think there's, there's a lot of upside to Priest as well if people want to play it. The question is if people want to commit to that kind of game time and, uh, and game plan and if they want to deal with the mirrors. Also, you know, something like Galakrog, is not that common on in was not that common in the master store even though it was pretty successful galcron rogue it wasn't that common and galcron rogue is becoming quite common especially a top legend so that is a problem for priest um and i expect that to continue because again there are a lot of zakos on ladder that refuse to lose that matchup they just want to beat priest they don't want to get emoted so Priest is good. Now, in terms of Priest builds, um, there is actually news, and I can already tell you that Full Yoink is uh, the best choice. And I think uh, it's easy to understand why. Because if you want to beat Paladin, you got a Full Yoink. Because one of the, like the primary win condition of Priest in that matchup is to steal the minion that they buff with uh, Librium of Wisdoms. You steal their Wisdoms, and you cut the Penflinger chain. No more loser for you. And once you do that, you really kill their late game plan of just being able to repeatedly ping you and lower your self-esteem. You just, you just drop them on their knees, and that's it. You steal their stuff, and, and that's it. And since they can generate like six or seven things, you want to have more consistent yoinks. Uh, also stealing uh, the 8-8 taunt off of Librem of Hope with like a Cabal Shadow Priest can just end games against them too. So go full yoink. That is the correct choice right now for ladder. It's better than the removal plan. The removal plan doesn't help you as much against Paladin because you can remove all of their stuff, but it's just they're just going to keep pinging you. So that's going to be a problem. You know, I've seen some experiments with running Elusia. Maybe that's good. You play Elusia and you, you play their Penflingers and you just keep them on your board so they can, that's it, you waste them. 
but it's probably not as good of a plan just yoinking their stuff. Turns out that that dynamic has not changed. Priest is still very good at taking things from others, particularly paladins. Uh, so it's good to know there's at least some kind of meta evolving already. And once those things stabilize, it shouldn't be too hard to figure out what can we target with. Or if people want to make more emotional decisions like you do, we can play a lot more Galakrond Rogue. Yeah, I suspect that the meta will not be solved by the end of this expansion just because everything is really new and we only really have one report. Uh, but it should be an interesting report on Sunday because we'll be able to at least give you uh, the best tools possible to succeed on ladder until that point. This brings us to Druid. Druid is pretty much where it was before. It's pretty underwhelming. Nothing about the meta changed to make it more favorable. In fact, it could be getting worse because um, you see less mages. You might be seeing less soul demon hunters, and you might be seeing more paladins. That's not something that the druid wants. So it may have even gotten a little bit worse after the patch, and I don't expect that to change much. Um, you pretty much see uh, about seven good classes, or uh, six good classes. Then there's mage and druid, and then there's a shaman and warlock. But that could change. Now ask me, Hat, how that could change. Hey, Zach, how could that change? It could change in Shaman because Shaman may actually have a competitively viable deck. Gasp. Gasp. If you have been paying attention to Twitter and stuff, you may have seen some control Shaman lists running around. And the deck is uh, definitely growing in popularity. Now, I will say that statistically, it's not going to look good because there are a lot of different builds and some of them are really bad. What I want to focus on is what's good in, sh in the Control Shaman builds. And there are builds with Elysiana that don't even run Fist of uh, Rod, which is a card that is very common and was very common in Control Shaman builds in this expansion not being played in like the builds that look good. You run Sphere of Sapiens, and that card could actually be a good performer in Control Shaman. Well, really? And you run all the removal. Yeah, you run all the removal. You run all the healing. You run like Groundskeeper with uh, Hagatha Scheme and Earthquake. You have a billion removal. You have a lot of life gain. You run Walking Fountain and Witch's Brook. Hex, Torrent. This deck is all about removal. And you even run Galkron the Tempest just to be able to play Kronks for another board clear or another strong late game play. Uh, you can even play Invocation of Frost, with it, which is kind of a, like a pseudo-removal freeze-stalling card. Also a card that might be long in that deck. And I've seen like a particular build that runs that card, and that seems promising. But you also run Elysiana. Elysiana actually allows you to fatigue priests because priests right now, it, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Because you would think that priests would be uber strong against like a hard control deck, right? Because of the thinking about infinite value. But control priests right now, builds right now, they're not really about infinite value. They can generate a lot of value, but it's not infinite. They don't run Galakron anymore. And they don't run cards like Thought Steel 
or Madame Lazul to steal the opponent's Elysiana as a potential counterplay. So if you actually play a heavy removal deck with not a lot of big targets to yoink, you just play removal. You can just fatigue them. You play Elysiana and they get to fatigue before you do. Especially when they run Cleric and Scales, they, they actually have some card draw. So they, they get to fatigue quite a bit in, in that matchup. And you just fatigue them. You just remove everything that they, they play. And you have the capability of doing that as, as the Shaman. So Control Shaman might be good against Priest. Really good because they have no ability to pressure you. And you have all the removal in the world. You have Elysiana. You're good against Soul Demon Hunter because you, you have tons of life gain. You even run Invocation of Frost so you can freeze their face and prevent them from hitting you in like a, during a turn. So you're good against that. You see less mages, which might have been a problematic matchup before. And the balance changes kind of help alleviate that. The only thing you might be struggling against, weirdly, is like Rogue. Because sometimes they can cheat out things and, and develop stats that you cannot deal with. And like something like Galakon can just overwhelm you. Or like uh, all the you know scammy things that Rogue does. Or like maybe Warrior can burst combo you. Or deal like something like if you don't run you don't run weapon tech. So Bomb Warrior can eventually get there, even though you have healing. But if you are good against priest and really strong against Soul Demon Hunter, and like decent against Hunter too, because again you have tons of life gain and stuff like that, then you might have a competitive deck. That could be something like tier two even. Um now again, it won't show up statistically. And I'm already saying, telling you this right now. It's not going to look great statistically in the power rankings on Sunday, I suspect, because there are a lot of like poorly performing builds too that don't run Elysiana, that run like weird stuff like Highlander. You know, people always try Highlander builds and they're always worse. Um, so it's not going to look great. But we will say probably that Control Shaman, if you run the strong build with Elysiana and Groundskeeper and things like that, then that deck could be strong. Strong enough to play and without suffering. So Shaman might be back. Don't don't tour with my emotions this way, Zach. No, it's kind of back. It's kind of back. I can confirm. It's kind of back. Like, I think this is... I've seen enough to suggest that it's back. Now, it's not the best deck. It's not the second best deck. But it's like somewhere around 50% win rate probably. And that's, that's better than me, Shaman's you know? been for most of this expansion. We can say that. Yeah, for the sure. fact that we have something, the fact that we have something that it's is kind of up there, just tells us that Shaman is is real. Uh, so that's amazing, and it's kind wow. of weird that we're seeing that at this stage of the expansion. But yeah, that class no more. So, and this isn't the first time that Shaman's been made better by late expansion changes, but. Definitely Control Shaman is not the deck I expect to see. So surely, with these changes, you're going to talk about the new and exciting Warlock deck, right? There's a Warlock deck, right? No. Warlock sucks. Aww. Warlock still sucks. Aww. And yeah. Warlock is actually worse than Shaman. How turntables. Wow. Life Tap can't save it. Like, Galcon, Ro uh, Galcon Warlock is, like sometimes feels playable like it's not terrible but it's like a high tier four deck which isn't good right it's kind of weird right it's as good as cyclomages right now just think about that how bad cyclomage is performing uh and zoo is obviously 
really bad. Some people believed that Zoo was actually a good choice to bring to Master Store. They even memed VS for saying that Warlock is trash. And look where we are now. Hmm. Hmm. Well, sorry, Zoo players. It's time to put the flame imps down. Yep. Can't do it right now. So that's our post-patch uh, insights. The early insights, as I said before, the report is going to be um, far more insightful. Uh, I expect to see more surprises, more new reveals, because you know the meta is still developing and people haven't really picked up on the fact that Cyclomage is just not, not good anymore. And that's going to change. So I suspect you're going to see a lot more Paladins over in the next two weeks or next three weeks until the expansion launches. So get ready. Get mentally ready to get Hey Losered 10, 15 Ugh. times a game. I don't know if there's a way to prepare for that. Like, how do you get ready for that? Do you, just, do you listen to somebody else calling you a loser a lot and just to build up tolerance? I don't want to do that either. Maybe you need to wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and just compliment yourself a little bit. You're great. Uh, just kind of build up You're the buffer. Great. Yeah. Yeah, just build up some confidence before you you queue up ladder. Because yeah. It's a problem. Well. Well, I will I will try and say nice things to myself to avoid. Maybe I can practice. I'll have my wife throw pens at me and just get used to the idea of like this this can't hurt me. This can't hurt me. By the way, Had, did you know that last Thursday Team 5 announced a new expansion? I did know that. They announced a bunch of things, but we should talk about the new expansion. We should talk about Madness at the Dark Moon Fair. Because it's the return of the old gods, as well as some creepy carnival rides. And we got cards. Do you want to talk about some cards? Yeah, I would love to talk about cards. It's kind of funny, right? Because in the previous podcast, we kind of speculated because we knew it was Dark Moon Fair. And then we saw that I... And I said, oh, there's plenty of other things, other eyes in World of Warcraft. Not necessarily has to be Cthulhu. And maybe, I, and then I said, maybe we'll see some miniature old gods in the Dark Moon Fair. I envisioned that if we were going to see uh, old gods, maybe we see like, like them in stuffed animal form, like like a stuffed pets, like something toyish or something weird like that. But it ended up being just they're just lurking in the Dark Moon Fair. So weird, but it's so great too. There's, like There was like this highly upvoted Reddit post meme that was so good um, from the Ratatouille movie where, <laughs> where he tastes um, Madness at the Dark Moon Fair and is reminded of the time where he was a kid and ate whispers of the old gods. And they're kind of bringing it back again uh, with the old gods and just brings the nostalgia back because whispers of the old gods was a well-received expansion. It was. Well, that was the start of Standard as well. It was a long time that ago. That was the start of the Data Reaper report, too. Ugh. We started then. So like, many It's things. incredible how time flies, but yeah. Whispers of the Elgaz was the first expansion in which the Data Reaper report uh, existed, came to be. Wow. Uh, we started in May of that expansion, like a month after that expansion's launch. So, yeah. Good memories. Now we're back to old gods. Yeah, good memories. So let's talk about new cards. Got some new ones. Or new mechanics. New interesting things to discuss and speculate over. We will start Bell Screen Blast, Demon Hunter Spell, one mana, lifesteal, deal one damage to a minion and its neighbors. This is a better shooting star. 
And no, this card does not mean power creep because different classes are good at different things. But Zach, what do you think about this card? It's power creep. <laughs> come on. No, it's not. I mean, come on, shooting star with lifesteal. That is so typical of Demon Hunter. Now, to be fair, it's not power creep, and you're correct, and I'm just memeing here, because when shooting star was printed, it was printed alongside a lot of spell damage synergy, right? It was printed yes. with uh, the 4-3 elemental. I forgot its name. But you basically, you could you could easy, very easily buff that up and, and turn it into like a mini AoE effect that was quite could be quite significant. Uh, and this one is like a shooting star, but but yeah, but it's very good with um, the two four. Uh, Moarg artificer. Yeah, artificer. Yes, I, I'm I'm starting to forget. I'm so focused on the new cards that I forget the names of the old cards at this stage. So yeah, very good with uh, artificer. Uh, could potentially encourage uh, demon hunters to run spell damage. This card is really good. Like this is a really strong card. Like it's three health at minimum with three damage AoE. It's really strong. I suspect it will see play. And again, Artificer really becomes better with this card. So I think yeah, it has it a also chance. Yeah. It dilutes the one mana pool as well. So Wandmaker may be happier about this or may not be, but you're less likely to get a consistent effect. You're less likely to get, well, twin slices. Um, so it's that worth is true. Now. That is true. It's a defensive one mana spell, which doesn't really line up if you run one maker and soul demon hunter. You may not want this as much. Uh, yeah, but this card is good. On the surface, seems like a pretty decent card. Now, the next cards we have here, I think we should talk about all three of these at once. We've got yep. Solar Eclipse, which is a druid spell. Two mana. Your next spell this, this turn cast twice. You've got Lunar Eclipse, which is two mana, deal three damage to a minion. Your next spell this turn costs two less. And then you've got Kiri Chosen of a Loon at four mana, two, two, Druid Legendary. Battlecry, add a Solar Eclipse and a Lunar Eclipse to your hand. So these yeah, cards so... obviously synergize very well together. And it is worth noting, both Solar and Lunar say this turn. They're not like Nature Studies. The discount or doubling effect does not carry over. You have to play it the same turn. Well, thank God for that, because that would be so absurdly broken. Um, but yeah, Lunar Eclipse is like the first one that we should talk about. Deal three damage to a minion. Your next spell this turn costs two less. It's basically a, a deal three to a minion for zero mana if you play another spell this turn, right? So this card just individually seems pretty good. It allows you to do uh, like on turn four you can play this, remove a minion, and still play your overgrowth. So it kind of helps you. Um, gain some tempo on your opponent and fend off aggression. Because Druid is a very spell-heavy class, and it's going to have expensive spells. So you can think about this as almost like an Anubisat defender, but as a removal in a removal form, and far less situational, right? Because it works on every spell. So this card seems like pretty good. Like it's going to be deal three to a minion for zero mana pretty much all the time. And and that's a card I would want to have in my deck. Um, the second card is Solar Eclipse. Your next spell this turn casts twice. This is a very combo-licious card. And I think it has a lot of potential. Uh, both defensively, like you can combo this with Swipe. You can combo this with Starfall. 
Uh, you can combo this with things like uh, Hidden Oasis and like Questroid. You can heal for a billion, like almost, like Reno basically. There's a lot of things that you can do with this card. And the fact that it costs only two, and you can very easily duplicate effects of spells that cost more than two, suggests that this card will see play. Very combolicious. Especially when we talk about doing damage, right? Not just that, but let's think about doing damage with this card. And you can see that it has a lot of potential. When we have cards like Lunar Eclipse alongside it, we have Lightning Bloom alongside it. Seems like a very a card that, you know, could end up being very important for some sort of Druid deck. Uh, I just can't see it not being played at some point. And then we see Kiri. Which is like, think about it like this. 4 mana 2-2, two, two, pretty bad, right? But what it is, does it do? It draws you 2 cards that you probably want to have in your deck. So, 2 cards that you want. Think about Gnomish Inventor. It's a 4 mana 2-4 that draws a card. Doesn't see any play, right? But this one draws 2 cards. That seems to be pretty good. So, not a good tempo play, that's obvious. But in terms of the value that you get from it, seems to be worth it. I think Kiri is, like, if you run a deck that wants to have these cards um, originally in your deck, Solar Eclipse and Lunar Eclipse, which I think are very combo-licious cards, card that you want to run in some, some sort of OTK Druid deck or some, some sort of combo Druid deck that does something specific. Um, if you want to run these cards originally in your deck, you want to run Kiri because it just offers you the full pieces. Uh, so... I think it's interesting. Again, very difficult to say at this stage because we've barely seen any cards and you want to see all the cards in order to get a good evaluation off. But this seems like good building blocks. There's got to be something here. I'm just, all the things you said, really smart. To boil it down, there's got to be something here. I know what it is. Yeah, yeah. I just can't see it. Yeah, I just can't see the, these cards not seeing play. Like, because they all involve mana cheating. Like, that's enough said. When Druid cheats mana, it's good. Yes. There'll, these cards do that. There will be something going on here. Um, I don't know what it is, but it, it's, yeah. These effects are too powerful Nazi play. Okay. We've got, yes, the Weight, which is also a Druid card. Uh, two mana epic spell. Draw a card. Guess if your next co card costs more or less than that to draw it as well. This is weird. Yeah, so, so what if it costs the same? You basically lose right i would assume you lose the tie yeah kind of cool so think about it like this two mana draw one is terrible two mana draw two is very good but it's not guaranteed so it's kind of weird because you can't really build your deck around this that much because if you play like a lot of cheap spells then it's very it becomes very difficult to guess right even if you play like if you play a bunch of Cheap spells, even if you get like a two mana spell. If you have things, if you're running things like Innervate and Lightning Bloom, there's definitely no guarantee. Nature studies, things like that. No guarantee that you're going to be right. It's kind of a weird card. I really don't know what to say about this. Uh, if it's two mana draw, one and a half on average, then maybe it's good enough. Like if you're right half the time, it should be good enough. But Druid has a lot of card draw already. I'm not sure there's enough, there's space for this one. 
It's uh, it's a weird one. It's really hard to evaluate. It's going to depend on the on the context of that deck because this could be like a, a medium fungal fortunes, like it not obviously not as good. But if our deck is built in a very particular way to have slices of, we have a lot of low curve stuff. We have a lot of middle of the game survival, and we have some late game combo pieces. Uh, if it has the typical druid problem of being three different clear thirds of the deck at different costs, then there could be value here of just cycling faster. Druid has a lot of card draw, but it's expensive right now. There's not as much cheap card draw. So it's just, just a question of how consistent this is. You can only guess how impactful this card is. Oh, I like that. I was waiting for that pun. Ah? Huh? Ah? Huh? Yeah, it was pretty good. All right, we'll, we'll move on. So, day at the fair. Uh, so we should talk about the new mechanic, Corrupt. There's a new mechanic called Corrupt that if a card is in your hand and you play a card that costs more than it, then it upgrades. It's like a spellstone in a way. So this next card, Day at the Fair, it's a three-mana paladin common. Summon three silver hands recruits. Corrupt, summon five instead. So cost three mana, you can play it on turn three, get three one ones. If you play a four-mana spell, this card transforms in your hand into three-mana summon five one ones. Yeah, so the, the spellstone example is very good. You can only you can also uh, compare this to like cards like the Omega cards that do something unique when you get to ten mana. It's kind of similar but far faster, right? Because you don't need to wait to the ten mana to get the most value out of these cards. That's for sure. And you know, Day at the Fair is a card that's pretty bad on curve. If you played on three, not that happy with it. Um, maybe wild players will be traumatized by this in Odd Paladin. I don't know. In Odd Paladin, it's kind of questionable because you're you're not going to play anything that costs more than three unless it costs five. And even then, you already have Muster, you already have Tour Guide. I, it's it's just a little bit less efficient. Yeah, it probably doesn't even go into Odd Paladin. You're right. So, yeah. I mean, it's cool. I mean, five dudes for three is very good. Um, but I don't know, like you're going to need to see some, uh, silver hand recruit synergy for this card to be played and we'll see if Paladin gets it, uh, this expansion. Maybe we'll see that kind of archetype being, uh, getting s some support in terms of corrupt. I do like the keyword because it's basically cards that scale and cards that scale, I think feel pretty, uh, like feel better to play than cards is like don't scale like they're weak in the late game so this card gets better in the late game compared to other cards of, of its cost but there is a penalty where you know the initial well three bodies for three is pretty bad it's a weaker muster right so and i as much as people were going to say that the most important thing was the recruits it was the fact that you had the weapon too that was important pinging with the paladins is very impactful so this one doesn't do that Again, it entirely depends on Recruit's energy. If Recruit is something worthwhile, this card sees play. If it doesn't, it doesn't see play. On the surface, I don't like this card at its base. On, like, if I want to see good corrupt cards, you generally want cards that are pretty reasonable even when they're not corrupted. And this one doesn't feel like one unless there's heavy Recruit's energy. Yeah, and if we want to talk about a corrupt card that I think has a reasonable base condition, we should talk about Dunk Tank, which is the Shaman card. It's four mana rare spell. Deal four damage to anything. 
And if it's corrupted, you also deal two damage to all enemy minions. So this goes face. Yeah. This is a lot better at its baseline. Because four damage that can go face um, for four mana is, again, it's not great. But it's not terrible too, right? It's playable. You can kill things on curve. The most important thing is that this is a removal card. It's not a card that you develop the board with. Which means it's also a card that you're not that desperate to play on curve as much as you do day at the fair, right? When you play a board-based deck, you want to develop things. You really want them to be powerful on curve. And Dunk Tank is a card that's not about board development. It's removal. So you can easily save it uh, in the late game, and then it becomes pretty nutty, right? It becomes like an insane swipe. Like, it's basically a, a, an upgraded swipe. Because yeah. you deal four damage, and then you deal two damage to all enemy minions. So you deal six to whatever you target, whatever minion you target, and two to the rest. That's very powerful. Or you can and just go face nuke. it, and you also holding over and, them. Yeah, it's yeah. This card is really, really good. Um, and the way the corrupt like, works as well uh, is that if you, the corrupted card is a different card, the card transforms. So if you did, for example, if you have this in hand on turn four and you don't play it. Hag the scheme on five, you upgrade it. Turn six, you go diligent note taker dunk tank. You get back the upgraded version. You don't get back the base version. So if you yeah. were to diligent note taker, if you were to copy it, you would get back that extra that extra powerful swipe instead. Yeah, this is very good. So we already kind of figured it out. When we look at corrupted cards, let's think about whether they're important to play on curve or not. Because I feel like if a card is not important to play on curve... It's it looks far better to me, and this is that kind of card. Dunk Tank, I think, is going to see play in Shaman decks. Yeah, uh, it's, I like the look of this card, and uh, I'm glad it's not like a title surge where you have to target a minion. Face the place. All right, we got a priest card. Yeah, Fortune Teller. It's a five mana three three mech with taunt, battle cry, gain plus one plus one for each spell in your hand. This could be large. This could be a large minion. Yeah, I mean, you immediately think about current control priests, right? You you have a lot of spells. You like if this if you have four spells in hand and this is a five mana seven seven with taunt, that's pretty powerful. And I think having four spells at least in hand in a deck that runs Cobalt Spellkin and Wandmaker is a fairly easy thing to achieve. The thing is, though, the control priest really is not that desperate to just dump stats on the board. So a card like that just dumps stats on the board. I'm not sure has space in this kind of deck. But it could be powerful to the point where you still want to run it. Like, if you have regularly five spells in hand and four spells in hand, you can get this on curve as a five mana seven seven. That's pretty good. Like, regardless of what kind of archetype you run. But I do think that Priest is not as desperate for stats as, as other classes are. Which is probably why this card is a priest card. Because if this was a mage card <laughs> or a rogue card, then this would, or a druid card, then this would probably be more upsetting. Uh, but in priest, it feels it might feel a little bit better to play against. But yeah, card has potential. Not sure of the archetype, uh, but we'll see. I like it. Yeah, it's. I, anything that encourages priests to develop to the board with reasonable mid-range minions, I think, makes a strategy that's a little bit less frustrating to play against than when they just take yours. 
Yeah, but they're probably gonna if they play this, they're still gonna take your stuff too. Uh, oh yeah, don't expect them to drop it's, that. This is not gonna solve all the peace, peace problems, and I'm not asking for it to. But it is what it is. Uh, next up here, we have Fleet Hoof Pearl Tusk. So this is a this is a neutral. It's another card that has the corrupt mechanic, and it's a five mana four four rush that turns to a five mana eight eight rush when you corrupt it. Yeah, and it's kind of the thing that we said before, right? This card is bad on curve. It's really bad on curve. It's one half of a faceless corruptor, a nerfed faceless corruptor. Like, how sad is that? That's pretty sad, right? If you play a now playing a six, so basically this card is only playable on turn seven. Uh, only on turn seven does it turn into a five mana eight rush. So I think that card, this card, is pretty bad. Like I don't think this card sees play. Uh, it requires the condition is pretty significant uh, for it to see play. Uh, I think it's unplayable on five. Day at the fair on three. If you have recruit synergy. I can see you play it at a pinch. This card on five is unforgivable. It's so bad. It doesn't even kill a shield of Galakar. Like, it's really sad. So on seven, five mana eight eight rush, not as impactful. So it's a filler neutral, but I, I'm not that, not high on this one. It, this is an arena card. We, we play this in arena. Remember that mode people used to play one time? It's, it's an arena card. Yeah. All right. Uh, now we get into the goofy stuff. Silas Darkmoon, we've talked about it a little bit. Seven mana, four, four. Neutral, uh, legendary, but also a login reward. This is a freebie. Battlecry, choose a direction to rotate all minions. So it either uh, puts your entire board, well, both boards, one minion left or one minion right. So the minion on the far end of both sides of the board switches sides. Yeah, so if we didn't see this before, I would have said this card like looks like a bit of a meme and kind of a very combo-ish card that's kind of hard to envision a kind of combo. And then immediately, people thought about a combo with uh, Soulbound Ashton and Shield Slam, which is kind of cool. But we'll see. I mean, definitely has potential uh, in terms of combos where you give your opponent something that he really doesn't want you to give him and then blow him up you know there's a combo with doomsayer but that's like very very slow like on turn nine you want to play a doomsayer combo that's not good enough so it's kind of cool but i think that they pretty much designed this card to just be a fun thing rather than something competitive and even though it's being experimented right now I'll be surprised if it becomes a competitive card. I'll be pleasantly surprised, but I'll be surprised nevertheless. This card is... It definitely has all the markings of a Potion of Illusion sort of thing, where it's probably inefficient and definitely fun, but there's a, there's a chance that something breaks this at some point. Yeah. There's yeah. a chance this card causes some deck to be nerfed, like a Turtle Mage, which yes. we saw with Potion of Illusion. Uh, exactly. So this card is kind of a funny card that may spawn a deck that may not be very funny, and then it gets nerfed. <laughs> we'll see. I, I bet it'll be fun for a little bit. It's just a question of if it gets good and stays good, that's when there will be conversations. But I like their printing cards that are goofy like this, and neutral treachery effects are kind of cool. All right, 
onto the 10 drops because it's not an old god set without 10 drops. I'm going to start with the one that's not yeah, an old god. Th- yeah, not an old god. The bunny. The bunny. The dark moon the rabbit. The dark moon rabbit. It is a neutral 10 mana 1-1. One, one. Let me repeat. This is a neutral 10 mana 1-1. One, one. It is an epic. It is a beast. It has a rush poisonous and cleave whatever minion it attacks it also hits the neighbors so this is 10 mana attack a minion and kill it and the two minions that are adjacent to it this is funny yeah this is a funny it's card. a funny card it's also a reference from a movie yes uh and you know like if you play this for 10 mana this is utter trash but i suspect that if you ever have the ability to somehow cheat this out then it might become playable. Because, yeah, cheating out things is good. Uh, and this is a prime comeback card, right? Like, imagine, like, you had Barnes, and you played Barnes, and this thing just destroyed your opponent's board. So there's definitely, like, something there. It's kind of a weird da- a card that you want to cheat out, because usually we wanted to cheat out, like, big things, right? But this is a very powerful removal card if you cheat it out. And that's kind of cool because it's a comeback card. Right? You don't just develop stats. You can just remove your opponent's stuff. But it seems like more of a fun card. Like, Does Big Warrior ever play this? It's kind of a weird one, right? Do you play commencement with this? Um, and get the bunny. <laughs> yeah, you get the bunny with the vine shield. And he kills your opponent's board. And they have to ping. It's kind of annoying, right? But it probably is I'm terrible. I'm going like, no. That's no, my current no. guess. Someone will do yeah, it. Yeah, but it'll be in Trollden. It'll be funny, and I think that's the purpose yeah. of this card. To By be the way, you can evolve Mogu Flash Aper into this, which seems pretty good. That's it's... good. Like whenever you get this off of an, a cheap effect, that should be strong. Yeah, it's. I cannot wait for the Trollden videos. All right, it's old God o'clock. Let's talk about old gods. Last four cards. Saving the best for last, by the way. Don't you worry. So we'll start with Yasharaj the Defiler. 10 mana for a 10-10. Battle cry. Add a copy of each corrupted card you've played this game to your hand. They cost zero this turn only. Now, corrupted cards, not cards with corrupt, but cards you have actually upgraded. You have to upgrade them. You have to play the card that costs more than them to get the copy. And then you get the upgraded copy in your hand. Obviously, this card is as powerful as Corrupted cards are going to be. If if we see a lot of powerful Corrupted cards, especially you need to pay attention to what each class gets, because that will heavily influence whether this card is a strong build-around for that respective class. But this this might be a crazy comeback card in in the right deck, right? Because they cost zero... This turn. Thank you for doing the this turn thing, Blizzard. And not forever. Like, the fact that this is one effect, it's you can do it on one turn, you have a b- big swing, but that's it. You have to consider whether you want to use a card immediately or not. Um, because otherwise it gets back to its original cost. Which is still good, by the way, because it's a pretty strong value generator, even if you don't use it immediately. But on the surface, in the immediate turn when you play this, this is a big tempo swing, right? Because you, essentially you play a deck with a lot of corrupted cards, and then that affects the board, 
and then you get you play this and you get those cards back you fill your hand with these and then you use them to just obliterate your opponent's board maybe even kill your opponent maybe there are more burn cards in this uh, that are corrupted like dunk tank that could create like maybe a viable way to burst your opponent with this one but mostly i think this is going to be a big swing turn for a corrupted heavy deck, right? You need to play a lot of corrupted cards. You need to spend mana of these corrupted cards for Yasharas to be strong. So I think this could be situationally very strong in the right kind of deck. But you have to build pretty aggressively in order to make it work. And it's the meta has to have a very particular shape to be able to hold a bunch of cards and then slowly upgrade them and then need the extra value. Because we look at what Skolomance did, Skolomance put a lot of power into low-cost cards. A lot of really good ones and twos. It seems that MDF is going to lean more towards big stuff, but the meta has to be amenable for big stuff. Like, you have to have the time, and I don't know if that's going to be a guarantee, but if it is, this is the kind of effect you want to generate more value and also just kind of crush your opponent in a, in a very powerful swing turn. I would like, I think for Yashavash to be good, you need some of these Corrupto cards to be absolute game winners. Yeah. You need to be able to win when you play this because this is turn 10 and it's often not going to be turn 10 because you need to spend mana on the card in order to upgrade it. Think about this. You need to spend quite a bit of mana in order to get enough value off of uh, Yashirash. You need to, like, it's probably going to be more powerful on turn 15 than it is on turn 10 immediately. Yeah. So, so I think this card is very slow and if it doesn't really immediately win the game on that turn, then it becomes quite questionable. We'll have to see. They're probably going to print something that's really good with this, which will make us change our minds, perhaps. But on the surface, this is a slow, very synergistic card, very reliant on having strong corrupted uh, targets. Uh, otherwise, very slow. And we have received confirmation through... Dev interviews, there is a nine mana card with corrupt, and apparently it's very powerful. So we'll see. If that, that is true, and that card becomes zero mana, then yeah, you play the. Yeah, that's exactly what we. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, a nine so mana card with a game corrupt, you have to play a 10, and it can't be this 10. So you have to play a different 10. But if we get to the point where our game plan is. 10 mana card into 9 mana card into Yasharaj. Again, Foreman has to have a very particular shape for that to be what you want to do. Man, I'm really curious about what that 9 mana card is. Apparently Because it's it has awesome. to be insane. Yes. It has to be absolutely insane and game winning. for like it, Because if that's the case, then Yasharaj becomes like far more intriguing and, and, and tempting to play. Yes. But we'll see. Very, we'll see. Syn- very hard to evaluate this card on the surface. Otherwise. Speaking of cards that are hard to evaluate, let's look at Nazoth, God of the Deep. 10 mana, 5-7, battle cry, resurrect a friendly minion of each minion type. This is weird. I think this is, I think this is easier to evaluate than Yasharash. I think this card is clearly good. Uh, it's not like insane, like you, you don't look at this and say, think insane, but I suspect that this card will eventually be insane. And I think it might even be better than the old Nazoth. Because this card allows you... Like, there are a lot of decks right now, even now, that just play one thing with a, with a tribal tag. right? You, you think about Cyclone Mage playing Mana Giants, right? They're elementals. 
You don't True. mean them to like you don't need them to be elementals, but they happen to be elementals. You think about Druid with like Wind Guardian, like a big in Druid that plays Wind Guardian and, and Evasive Draconit. You play a beast, not because it's a beast, but because it's a big it's a good minion, strong minion. And you also have a dragon over there, or Emerald Explorer, or things like that. So there are decks even now that run some tribals without them needing to be tribal. And this card can push them to maybe play maybe a mech thing that's introduced in this expansion, or maybe some other tribe. And suddenly Nazoth becomes this huge value bomb. So... This kind of card is only to, going to get better as time goes on. And even if it doesn't make an immediate impact now, it's probably going to eventually make an immediate impact. You're going to have to watch out for taunts or cards with an immediate impact on the board, like things with static effects that have a tribal tag. Whenever you see them, high-value cards like that, you think about Nizoth immediately. And you don't need to, this to generate a full board. It's enough that this resists like two or three big minions for you to just lock a game up. You don't have to have a full board from this. We know that already from the old Nazoth. If you play Tyrion and Cairn and Sylvanas, that was enough. You didn't need to do much more than that. So I don't think you need to aggressively build into this card for this to be a worthy payoff. Unlike Yasharaj, which I think you need to aggressively build to make that card worth it. And you need to spend a lot of mana to do it. Here, you're playing things you want to play anyway, and then you have a huge turn on turn on turn 10. And it can be an immediate turn 10. So this card is faster than Yasharaj. I think it's easier to build towards. You don't need to build your entire deck around this. And it can be a powerful payoff, which is has all the makings of a card that can be eventually be fairly ubiquitous. And you know what? I won't even be surprised if this becomes this ends up being the most popular old gods of them all. Like becomes the the card that included in the most most decks, like uh, in the highest number of decks eventually. But we'll see. You know what I can back, get back? You know what we can get back here? What? The bunny. Yeah, probably not. But yeah, we can Let get the dream. bunny back. Let me dream. Okay, we play yeah. Nizoth Big Warrior. We ignore the fact that we're playing a Battlecry minion in a recruit deck. And then we commence out the bunny, and then on turn 10, we get it back. Amazing. Foolproof plan. All right, yeah. so since we've solved the meta already, let's move on to this next card. Um, talk about Cthune. But Cthune is different. Cthune the Shattered. It is a 10-minute 6-6, but at the start of the game, break into pieces. And Battlecry, when you reassemble it, Deal 30 damage, randomly split among all enemies. But the pieces are important here. It splits into four five-mana neutral spells at the start of the game. There's the body, which makes a 6-6 six, six taunt for five mana. There's the eye, which deals seven, ran seven damage randomly distributed among all enemies. There's heart, which deals three damage to all minions. And there's maw, which destroys a single minion. Once you play all four of these, then you shuffle the reassembled Cthune back into your deck. You do not add it to your hand, and you have to draw it, and then when you draw it, you get a 10 minute 6-6 six, six that shoots 30 missiles. This card is nutty. Crazy. 
not in terms of thinking about it, like it's harder to uh, evaluate how it's going to perform or how what kind of impact it's going to be. But I suspect it's going to make a big impact on the meta. I think Cthulhu is uh, is going to end up being a four star card, and the reason why I think that is because like you have to think about you know the first criticism people give is oh this card is very slow right because you need to draw five spells uh, four spells you need to spend 20 mana on them right they're useful they do things you get assassinate you get excavated evil you get kind of an avenging wrath um what was the last one uh there's I think it was there's the excavated evil there's the assassinate uh, there's a 6-6. Six, six. Taunt. Yeah. You get a taunt slightly uh, above curve, right? 6-6 six, six taunt for 5 is okay. So you get playable cards. They're not fantastic, but you need to spend 20 mana on them. And then you shuffle this into your deck, and then you need to draw it, and then you win the game. But the key thing is you pretty much win the game when you play this. So people will, you know, start... Uh, calculating when can Cthulhu be dropped, and sometimes you you will often need to draw like twenty five cards for this for this Cthulhu to drop, which seems like very very slow, right? But you know what? Another card uh, was very very popular in control decks, very important for control decks that you had to draw thirty cards for it to see play, for it to be dropped on the board. Elysiana, and Cthulhu is better than Elysiana. This card ends the game. It doesn't just push fatigue. It ends the game when you play it. So if you're a control deck, if you're playing a control deck, and you're playing another, like a mirror against another control deck, and you have Cthulhu and they don't, you win. You win and they will not win. Because this card ends the game. And if the game goes into f close to fatigue, you're going to win. So just because of the fact that Cthulhu is so vital in control versus control matchups, it might become a mandatory inclusion in some sort of meta where you have even a uh, even a small amount of control decks. Like if control warrior is in the meta, and control shaman is in the meta, things like that, or priest is fairly popular, you're probably going to be forced to run this card just because it's so monumental in these matchups, the direct matchups between them. The other thing to keep in mind is that the cards, the pieces themselves are not terrible, right? They're not terrible. They're okay. Like, Assassinate is not terrible. Uh, uh, three uh, damage AoE for five is not terrible. Avenging Wrath for one mana less is not terrible. These cards are okay. They're not cards you would willingly want to put in your deck, but they're okay. They're good. They're decent cards for control decks. So... The way I see it, this card is a far better Elysiana. And we saw that Elysiana became a meta-defining card at some point. Really, really important for a particular deck because of the mirror. Just because of how important it was for the mirror. And I suspect this card is far better than Elysiana. And if that, that's the thinking, that's the mindset that, you, that, that I direct you towards, you can easily understand why this will be a meta-defining card. Because Elysiana required you to have to drawn 30 cards for it to make an impact. And this will require you to draw less. It may not be very important or 
very good in like if you're playing against an aggro deck as a control deck. But you can be sure that you want this in the late game. Now that's the one way to spin this, right? That's the one way to think about this. That this is kind of a an arms race card in control versus control matchups, which already makes it better than Elysiana. Because if you're playing against Elysiana as a Cthulhu deck, you win. The other way to think about it is, is Rogue. Rogue is particularly a class can, that can abuse this because you have a card called Stowaway. Stowaway draws you the spells. Specifically, draws you the five mana pieces of Cthulhu, which accelerates your ability to get Cthulhu off. It can also draw you the Cthulhu after you shuffled it. So Rogue can more realistically be able to play Cthulhu earlier than other classes would be able to. Now, this is very speculative, and there might be other classes that receive tools that allow it to play the Cthulhu earlier than normal, but specifically in Rogue, I think it has the tools. I think that just Galakron Rogue can just play this alongside Stowaways and Preparation in order to discount the spells and make them easier to cast. You also have Togwoggle and Galakron, which are fantastic discount and mana cheaty cards. So I think Galakrog is an archetype that can really abuse Cthulhu and get it going and make it a lot more tolerable to run than other classes or even other rogue decks. I specifically think about Gallic Rogue as a deck that may really want to run Cthulhu and just completely obliterate any late game matchup with it because of like, imagine drawing a zero mana Cthulhu or just multiple zero mana, like you play Poket. Oh man, just think about that. And you get all the all the pieces of Cthulhu for like zero mana or like one mana and you're able to play them. They, they're even like, if you play it for one mana, then they're insane, right? And you shuffle the Cthulhu and it's just game over. So I think this card has a lot of potential. I think this card is going to be meta-defining at some point. If not this expansion, it's only going to be a matter of time. It's far too powerful of a win condition. Even if it's slow, it just ends the game. Ends the game. If you have any decks in the meta that want to go late and want to play an attrition game plan, they will have to run this card. Because you cannot not run this card and run into someone who does run this card. So 30 damage is good. Yeah. TLDR, 30 damage is good. Okay. Uh, Cthulhu is going to be a thing. I'm excited for all these big, funky combo cards because it looks like they're going to be a good amount of work and also it looks like the format is... Going to move away from attrition yet again. But this last card is, well, it's exciting for different reasons. Let's talk about Yogg. They actually did it, Hat. Team 5 are the ultimate memers. They listen to the feedback all throughout this expansion about people complaining about RNG, about all this RNG. We hate all this randomness. Some, some, right? Not all of them. You know, I was one of the advocates of this is fine i was one of the people who were sitting in the burning building and drinking my coffee and saying this is fine but 
They listened to this feedback and they nerfed Evocation and they nerfed Solarium Prime and they got praised. Hooray! Team 5 listened to our feedback about randomness and then they print Yogg. This is so funny, Hat. They revealed Yogg the same day they nerfed Solarium Prime. The same day. This is so great. The same day. Like, you think you're out of the woods? You think we're done with you? Making your life miserable with randomness? Here you go. But really, honestly, I love this card. We should talk <laughs> I know about some people how it are works. Going... We should talk about how it works. Yeah, let's talk about how it works. Okay, yes. so there are six modes for Yogg. It's a 10 mana 7-5 neutral legendary. Battlecry, if you have cast 10 spell this game, spin the wheel of Yogg Saron. There are six outcomes. They are not equally weighted. There are five outcomes that happen 19% of the time, just under one out of five. And then there's one outcome that has a 5% chance of happening, and that is one out of 20 times. So, the base outcomes. Curse of Flesh. Fill the board with random minions. This is both sides, but your minions get rush. Devouring Hunger. Destroy all of their minions. Yogg gains their attack and health. Hand of Fate. Fill your hand with random spells. They cost zero this turn. Mind Flayer Goggles. Take control of three random enemy minions. There's the Mystery Box, which is the original Yogg. Cast a random spell with random targets for each spell you've cast this game. Then there's the 5% chance. The Rod of Roasting. Cast Pyroblast over and over until a player dies. Okay, so let's talk about the 95% outcomes. The 95% outcomes are all excellent to outrageously good whenever you're even or behind on board. Like... If you're behind on board, like filling both sides, both boards is good for you, right? Because you don't have millions. And let's say your opponent has minions that they don't have space to spawn all the minions that they can get from the Yogg. You spawn a full board. You rush into their stuff. Huge comeback card. The original Yogg. We get the original Yogg back 19% of the time. We know how powerful that card was in terms of being a comeback mechanic card. So that's obviously good. Destroying everything on the board and gaining the stats, we know that's good. In short, 95% of the time, this card is really powerful when it's behind, when you're behind, or even even on the board. Like Even if both players have like similar amount of power on the board, you can play Yogg and expect it to do well. And then you have 5% of the time you're going to grief. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe why did they do that like honestly why did they do that I'm, it's I'm this, really interested in like this, this card because I it's powerful I don't know what to say about it. it's a powerful card but also it's a fun card so uh, no the thing is here's the thing if 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 they think that they printed this card for fun for the Timmies I don't know about that because this card seems really powerful to me and I'll be surprised if it's not competitively viable. And I'll be surprised if you don't see it in tournaments. And I'll be surprised if it doesn't cast Rod of Roasting one game and just... Yeah. So I think this card... Out of every card we've seen so far... And I'm saying this also to the Yogg lovers. And I know a lot of people love Yogg. And personally, I think this card is really cool. It has a very high likelihood of being nerfed because I think it's going to be competitively viable, and I think Rod of Roasting is just stupid. <laughs> it's it's just it's stupid. 
It's stupid. I, I, as a content creator, I really like this card. I'm going to enjoy and appreciate the highlight reels cast by it. Uh, when I am laddering, when I lose to it, I am going to probably not be thrilled about it. And I will say, if I were a competitive player or a, a master store grinder, and I saw the existence of this card, I would feel disheartened. That's what I would feel. But you know what? I'm not going to lose to this card. You know why? You're going to play this card? Because I'm going to play this card. Yes. So just because you play this card doesn't mean you don't lose to it. Yes, but I'm going to win with it too. So it's going to cancel out hands. It's going to be fine. That's definitely Look, how that works. The thing is, the thing is, though, the thing we have to remember is that this Yogg, I think this Yogg is honestly more powerful than the first iteration of Yogg. Yes. I think this card is even better than the previous Yogg, which is why I'm curious um like if they intended this to be just be a fun card then it's not really it's powerful this card is good the thing is though you need to build around it playing 10 spells during a game is not something that every deck can do you just you, you can't shove yog into all of your decks right you have to play a specific deck that casts a lot of spells so you need to think about something like cyclomage can easily do that rogue can easily do that Priest, but the class that probably is the most suitable for Yogg is the one that abused this bass before, which is Druid. Because if you think Yogg on turn 10 is fun, what's going to happen when you also have Ramp? And Nature Studies and, inner, and Lightning Bloom. Yes. So the thing is, yes, even if you Ramp, you might not have the ability to play enough spells to get this off once you hit 10 mana. Because playing 10 spells is, requires quite a bit. Right? Maybe you even play Cobalt Spellkin and Druid now. I don't know. And and you, you play uh, a Breath of Dreams and Co Cobalt Spellkin. Is that ever a thing in Druid now? Because you want to just get to the Yogg? You just want to activate Yogg and ramp to it and play it? I, I think this card has immense potential, particularly in Druid. But I can also see other classes playing it. Rogue, Priest, Mage, uh, even... Uh, Maybe Demon Hunter, no, because it's kind of awkward with Skull uh, and Outcast. So I'm not sure about that. But I, I suspect this card is going to be powerful and it's going to see play in any deck that plays a bunch of spells. Uh, and I think there will be plenty of slower decks that will be Shaman that will be heavily uh, invested into wanting to run this card. Because it's such a huge comeback card. Shaman 2. You know what? Maybe Shaman plays like a... I'm going to try a 4 Old God Shaman deck. I think if we want to run a deck with all the Old Gods, it probably goes into Shaman. Because you have Walking Fountain, which is an elemental you can res with Nizoth. You have a bunch of dragons that you can run as well. And you can kind of fit everything in. <laughs> in, in the Shaman deck. 4 God... Shaman. Yeah, but being serious now, um, this card is going to be really, really... This might be the most powerful old god. The most likely one to be nerfed. Uh, maybe they take out Rod of Roasting eventually and just round everything up to 20%. Nah, just make it cost 11. It'll be fine. I think that's the right mana cost. Um, no, 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 no. If we look back we at effects that have been nerfed, the original Yogg was nerfed for competitive reasons. Uh, Dragoncaster was nerfed because of the speed of Puzzle Box. And Solarian Prime, again, nerfed the same day they revealed this. They've done this effect three times and nerfed it three times. Uh, I, 
I understand the appeal of this card. I think there will be a lot of people that really enjoy it. It's really, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably focused on the competitive aspect. And I understand anyone that is disheartened by the idea of competition being decided by effects like this, because I think it is, it's a pretty reasonable reaction. Um, and this is a card that I have seen more discussion about banning a card from competitive around this card more than any other. Because if you just leave it on ladder and you remove it from competitive, I, uh, that does seem to be a viable option, even though that precedent has not been set before. They have not done that before. They won't do it either, because you don't want the ladder scene and the tournament scene to be entirely different metas with entirely different decks. And if you have a deck that's highly that's spell-heavy, and Yogg is one of its cornerstone cards, you don't want that deck to just not be there in tournaments. Because people wonder... They want to watch tournaments and they want to experience matchups that they encounter on ladder two, and they want to learn from it as well. So when you do something like that, ban cards from competitive, no. The thing that you do is just nerf the card if it becomes problematic for competitive reasons. But I will say this. Yes, Puzzle Box is a card that I particularly dislike. Also, part of the reason was is because you can you could run even two copies of it or cheat it much earlier with Dragon Caster. Um, this card, you can play it in Druid, and it, you can kind of ram into it, into it, but the fact of the matter is you still need to play 10 spells, so I think it's it might be reasonably slow enough to not be too overwhelming, but the card is, is powerful, and definitely a card that I can, I can see them nerfing or changing or tuning up eventually, but you know what? With the new cadence of nerfing things and balancing things, uh, very quickly when they become a problem, I'm less concerned with this card than maybe if I if I saw this card like three years ago. Because of the fact of the matter is, Team 5 are very much in tune with what's happening. They pick up complaints very quickly and they change cards quickly. We saw what happened with Kel'thas early um, in the expansion when it became kind of a problem, an experience issue. They immediately nerfed it within like a week. Same for Lucia. I think it's okay to take a risk here and, you know, go for the hype and bring back the old gods and make them cool and, and interesting to play. And if they become overbearing, if something like this becomes uh, a bane on competitive Hearthstone, then they're just going to nerf it before the first tournament that ends up being relevant. So I think it's okay that they're taking this risk as long as if it becomes a problem, then they'll change it. And their willingness to change is something that's encouraging to see. Uh, like, they're very quick on that. So I'm fine with this being released as it is. Yeah. It's, again, I am very much looking forward to playing this on ladder. I think there's there's a lot of value to the vast majority of the player base by printing this. It's really just a question of how does competitive react. And I will say, uh, echoing your comments, Zach, I would expect this to see competitive play. It's very efficient and very powerful. Yep, it is powerful, and it's going to see play. Question is, how unbearable is it going to be for the competitive scene? Uh, personally, I'm really looking forward to playing this card. Yes. It's going to be hella fun. Likewise, yeah. And and hey, it'll put Druid back in the map, and we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. So, that's going to be our podcast for the week. As a reminder... The next report is Sunday the 1st. The next podcast after that is Saturday the 7th. It will be a special episode. You'll want to check it out. Uh, one final note here. If you were listening, today is Alec Dawson's birthday. Go wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Alec.
Happy birthday, Alec. Thank you for all that you do for the game and the community, and uh, and I hope you have a nice, relaxing Monday. And, uh, yeah. So, that's our show. Big thanks to everyone for tuning in. Big thanks to Steven Sensei for Intro and Outro. And we'll talk to you next weekend. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers. <laughs>